Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here and share the Word of God with you, worship God with you. Uh, let us start this portion of our worship with a prayer. Let us pray. Let your gospel, O Lord, come to us in word and also in power and in much assurance and in the Holy Spirit that we may be guided into all truth and strengthened unto all obedience and enduring of your will with joyfulness that abounding in the work of the faith and the labor of love and the patient, uh, patience of hope, we may finally be made partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We're reading the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 8 to 21. If you have a pew Bible, which you can find under the seat in front of you, you can find this passage on page 805. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 21. Please rise for the reading of God's word. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Every year it seems as though I do something to kind of defend or, um, you know, speak some truths about Christmas, why we do certain things. It was either last year or the year before I talked about why we have lights on the Christmas tree. And just a quick reminder is we used to have Christmas trees and they would put them outside. And one day Martin Luther, the great reformer, would be walking and he would be thinking, wouldn't it be great if we lit up this Christmas tree? Not like lit it up like all the way on fire, but like lit up the Christmas tree with candles because Jesus is the light of the world. That's why we have Christmas lights. And so there are legends like that. And we don't know exactly when Christmas trees started or 
all this paraphernalia around Christmas, but we do know one thing that this season is a time to be festive. It's a time to remember the birth of Jesus Christ. The whole world looks at the Western world and how do they see, let's say, the United States? How do they see the United States? They see the United States, the nation that we're living in, as a Christian nation. Even though we may not think we are living in a Christian nation, why does the world think that we're living in a Christian nation? And I think one of those reasons is we celebrate Christmas. There's no getting around it. You can throw Santa Claus in there. You can have sleigh bells. You can have reindeer. You can have gifts that we give. You can have family meals. You can have nice carols. But it all points to one thing, doesn't it? Christmas points to one thing that the world can't help but to see when they look at a nation celebrating Christmas. You know, we have a song that we sing. I don't think a lot of people understand where this song, what the song is about or where the song is from. And it's on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. And the song goes on. There's a bunch of birds that are given. It's like, wow, there's so many birds in this song. This person must love birds. You know, partridge, a pair of turtle doves, some geese. We got some hen going, French hens going on. There's all these birds. What's up with these birds? But then one thing that you might start to ask is, how come there are 12 days of Christmas? Where, why isn't it, isn't it just one? Isn't it just December 25th? Well, actually, traditionally, there were 12 days of Christmas. And it started on December 25th. And it would end on January 5th or January 6th, which church calendar or church history would have or know it as the day of Epiphany. Okay? And so there is this tradition that has been going on for over a thousand years. And that's why we have songs like, on the first day of Christmas, and then we sing about a bird, right? And, what, and the birds all have meanings, which I won't get into. There are all these traditions and songs and celebrations around Christmas. And even if you want to, we try our best. Maybe we don't want to put in specifically the word Jesus in those songs is that okay? Well, let me start with one story about one song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's a song written in 1963 and sung by a man named Andy Williams. It's so popular that if I just sang the first three notes of the song, people would all understand it's the most, and everybody would know what song I'm singing because it's so popular. In fact, this song was on the top 10 of the Billboard playlist almost every year, except I think 2014, it was like 12, but almost every year it's the top 10 played song during Christmas. It started off as a song written for the Andy Williams show. It's just a TV show. It's a small show. And it was meant to be like a, a silly jingle or a simple jingle. But it became, over time, one of the top sung or the top heard or played or bought and multiple platinum albums, right, for the holiday billboards almost every year. And what are the words in this song? I'm just going to read you a verse of the song. I think it's interesting because if you think about it, if you listen to the song, it's a song celebrating celebration. It's a song celebrating celebration. 
There will be, there will be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There will be scary ghost stories. By the way, the scary ghost stories was a tradition that was started even from the Victorian era. People used to tell ghost stories during Christmas. I don't know why, but that's why it's in there. There will be scary ghost stories. And then this is the last line of the verse. And tales of the glories of the Christmases long, long ago. And tales of the glories of the Christmases long, long ago. I especially like that last line. Tales of the glories of the Christmases long, long ago. Because this morning, this passage goes back to the tales of the glories of the Christmases long, long ago too. And what seems to be actually the first time we hear of the glory of Christmas. In this passage, Luke is telling the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. In the first verses of the chapter, Luke tells us where Jesus was born. Something that we saw the wise men last week figure out after they went to Jerusalem. But the events in Matthew probably happened after this event with the shepherds. So then, who was the first group of people that God had decided to inform about the birth of their Savior? They were shepherds. And just like the Magi, we aren't told too much about them in detail, but here is what we do know. These weren't any shepherds, okay? They were shepherds in, uh, in Bethlehem, around Bethlehem. What, does, what that means is that the sheep that they were shepherding, they were designated to be used in temple sacrifices. These were shepherds then that were presumably familiar with the customs and rituals surrounding Jewish law. And because they were shepherds, though, so these are shepherds that understood about temple sacrifices because they were tending the sheep that people would get for the temple sacrifice. In, in fact, in the Talmud, it says that sheep are automatically designated only for temple sacrifices if they are around this area. This is where they were. So, number one, they were familiar. They had to have been familiar with temple sacrifices and rituals. But number two, because they were shepherds, they dealt with uncleanness, not uncleanliness, uncleanness. That means they were not able to participate in the religious rituals of their people. So they know about the law, the customs, the rituals, but they cannot participate in that. They had a culture, and this is what commentators and historians would agree on. They had a culture that they were known for, and they are noted to have frequently have confused mine with thine, or thine with mine. If you know what that means, then that means they were considered untrustworthy. They were unprincipled, and their testimonies weren't even accepted in the law courts. And because of all this, the society around them would discriminate against them, and they would receive even a lot of animosity. Shepherds were considered to be the lowest class of people. You know, there are a lot of immigrants and people that are from immigrant families. The thing that you want to do when you come to or immigrate to a new nation is you don't want to start off low. You want to start off high. That's why they trained you as a child. If you're a second or third generation immigrant, 
then you, they trained you to say, you got to go to school, you got to get a good education, you got to climb up this ladder because we don't want you to be on the lower rungs of society. That's what they were. They were on the lowest rung of society. They were considered to be the lowest class of people. But even if they were regarded as the lowest class of people, it says here, God had affection toward them. There is no doubt that these shepherds in Luke chapter 2 held a special place in the heart of God. But when you look at the redemptive history narrative as a whole, while shepherds were always held in low esteem, even during Joseph's time in Egypt, it's noted in Genesis 46, 34, that shepherds were considered not just low in the Egypt society. It says they were considered an abomination to the Egyptians. That's why they had the land of Goshen that was given to them in Genesis. Shepherding was considered an abominable act to the Egyptians. It was not only low, it was despicable. But interestingly enough, in a few years, God would choose Moses, who would be in exile in the Midianite desert while he was doing what? While he was shepherding. God would choose a boy who would be shepherding his father's flock because he was too young to go out in war. Remember, it's prestigious and it is an honorable and valiant task to be a soldier in the army of God. But this boy was too young. He didn't make the cut. So what was he doing? He was a shepherd. But God chose David. We could even go to the prophets where we see the prophet Amos whom God called into his service, and Amos was a shepherd. And now we see here God sending his angel to announce the birth of the Messiah to a group of shepherds. So what happened? In verse 8 it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You know, sometimes I believe we might just skip through or push through some of these verses a little too quickly because we do not know the extent of the fear that people have when they see an angel. I don't think we can even imagine it, though. But let's take a thought journey with me. All right? Let's do a little thought experiment. Things that I do to my wife, I'm going to kind of subject you all to this morning. What does all creation exist of? Time, space, and matter. Name anything that isn't one, uh, in one of these three categories, time, space, and matter. You can't because all created things exist under one of these three categories. The God who created time, space, and matter, however, exists outside of these three categories. If he did not, he would not be creator God. You cannot create time within time. That's an oxymoron. You can't create space in space. Are you saying that you created something while it existed? That doesn't make any sense. 
And you can't create matter as matter. It would always go back then to who created the first matter. Self-creation was a theory posed by some philosophers and even some physicists now to answer the age-old question. The age-old question is, why is there something rather than nothing? Because here is the law of non-contradiction using logic and reason. Nothing comes from nothing. Something does not come from nothing. Nothing comes from nothing. And if there ever was a time, if there ever was a time that there was absolutely nothing, then there's absolutely no way that there is something now. But we see here that God is creator God. He exists outside of creation. That means he is the one that created all these things. He exists outside of creation. Now let's come back to the text. An angel then, or the word for angels, angelos, which means messenger from God. That means the angel was where? The angel was with God. And if the angel was with God, then that means he carried that message from God. Only The only way you could get a message from somebody is if you are with that somebody, and then you take that message out. If I'm going to take a letter from someone here, I have to go to that person, receive the letter, and then go. That means I was in the presence of the person giving the message. That means the angel was with God. That means the angel also was then outside of creation. That's the thought experiment, okay? In Job 30, I'm going to qualify with the, with the Bible now. Job 38, 4 to 7, it says, now God is talking to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? It's talking about the beginning of everything, right? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The sons of God here are the Angels, this is referring to angels. The angels were there before the foundations of the world were set in. There is something that doesn't exist in creation that is made manifest by the purposes of God. That's what we're talking about right here. Not only that, it says in verse 9 that the glory, that means the heaviness of God, shone around them. Now you have something, an angel who was with God outside of time, space, and matter, outside of all creation, right? Coming from God to this place. Not only that, you have the heaviness of God himself shining around you. And what happens to these shepherds? They were paralyzed with great fear. The words used here to describe the fear that the shepherds were in is phobeo phobas megas. That means they feared with a great fear. Even though, though, they were paralyzed with terror, even though this kind of terror fell upon them, and rightfully so, it was God who showed him or them kindness because there was only one for now. Imagine there was more than one. I think they would have just died. And like every other similar instance, the angel starts off with, do not be afraid, fear not. When an angel says that, it's not just commanding you not to be afraid. What the angel is doing is alleviating that terror that the shepherds faced. 
But the angel just doesn't only say, fear not or do not be afraid. He says this, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so this messenger from God brings the first record of the preaching of the gospel. It is the good news of great joy. And so what is this good news of great joy? In verse 11 it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, during this Advent season, I wanted to kind of, during 10 minutes before our service starts, I wanted to kind of have us here and meditate on Handel's Messiah. And we heard one that sang from the verses of Isaiah, but this is what the angel is saying here in Luke for unto us a child is born, a son is given. And so this is the good news of great joy. What is so amazing about this gift, though? What is so amazing about this gift of the gospel that it is, and you can see it in verse 11, it is for you. It is for you. The gospel message is intensely personal. Not only that, the gospel message is clear. In Bethlehem, our Savior, Christ the Lord, is born. In Greek, it's just Christ Lord. There's no the there. It's just Christ Lord. That means the Savior that is born is both the Messiah and Lord. This announcement of the great news is followed by directions. Here's the sign. Signs meaning like here are directions. You'll know when you get there because you'll see this, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So because of the census that Augustus decreed, lots of people were moving back and forth. And because Joseph was from Bethlehem, he had to go back there for the census. And so did, apparently, a number of others. And because Bethlehem was not a big town, this probably meant that there wasn't enough housing for everyone that might have been going back for the census to their hometowns. So the angel gives the shepherds a sign to know when they have found the Christ Lord. And as soon as the directions are given, it says that suddenly, out of thin air, might be something that we might use in our vernacular today, out of thin air, suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, that means an army, host means army, an army of angels appear. Armies are for fighting. When you see an army, it is a sign of war. But instead, we see here that they are not declaring war, but rather, and this is fascinating because they are rather singing a song of peace. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The peace referred to here isn't a peace between nations or with people, groups, with individuals maybe, the peace referred to here is peace between God and man. That is what is being pronounced. A lot of folk today might want to equate this story with God being with the poor. So now with Jesus, they can get blank. You can get money. You can get status. After the announcement, think about it. After the announcement, guess what? The shepherds were still shepherds. Their paychecks didn't increase. Their status among men weren't flipped. Because that's not the point of the story. 
The status that was changed was their status between them and God. The gospel is the good news that Christ Lord has come to reconcile us to himself. Who has this peace? Who has given this peace? With those whom he is pleased. Those that hear and believe the gospel. To those who hear the message of the coming of the Christ, the war is over. Peace has come to us and we are reconciled with God. I think that is the big hoopla. This is, the why, this is why the world is in turmoil. They may try to turn your eyes to other things. You know why you are in turmoil today? Because of this, because of that, because of this, because of that. But really, the reason why we are in turmoil is because of our status with God. After the proclamation, the angels return to heaven and the shepherds make haste to go to Bethlehem to find Joseph and Mary and the baby lying in a manger in swaddling cloths. But after seeing them, the shepherds become the first evangelists of the Christian church. Remember, we said no one even valued their testimony. You couldn't have a shepherd go and give witness testimony in a court of law. No one would trust them because they said whatever they want. That's what they thought. But even though no one valued their testimony, God would use them to be the first humans to proclaim the good news. He would entrust shepherds who were considered untrustworthy with this precious, precious gift of the gospel. And what happened after? It says in verse 18, and all who heard it, this is when the shepherds were evangelizing, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. That word for wonder is not to convey query, that's not like, I wonder what happened. That's not what it means. The wonderment that these people experienced is what we are talking about. When they heard the shepherds, they heard what the shepherds were saying, and they were awe-inspiring. They were in astonishment. Thaumazo means very amazed. That's what it means. That's the wonder. I said earlier that the shepherd's status didn't change after the pronouncement. They didn't get more money in their bank account. They didn't get a promotion. The world didn't think differently about shepherds. They didn't start a social justice group fighting for shepherds' rights. But something did change. Something changed because in verse 20 it says, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They were glorifying and praising God. Celebration. Celebration is here. What are they celebrating? All that they had heard and seen. The change is deeper and more significant. The change is deeper and more significant than your financial status, your marital status, your family status, your career status. What changed was their status with God. It changed when they heard and saw Jesus Christ, just as it had been told them by the angels in the pronouncement of the good news. So now you might be wondering, how can I see and hear this Christ now? Because I want to be changed. Who doesn't? And it's shown to us in the Word of God. You first hear the preaching of God's Word. That's when the Holy Spirit moves. 
starts to nudge at your heart, starts to change what was hardened, what was cold, what was dead, and starts to bring that heart back to life. Okay, that seems fair enough. What about seeing? Do we see Jesus like we see a painting of him? Do, does he appear to us before a dream? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, 18, let me read that for you. That the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So how do you know Jesus Christ? It says in verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You have the eyes of your heart opened, and here's what you should behold when the eyes of your heart are open in Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised by Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also, then you also will appear with him in glory. Until that day we see him face to face, we are to set our eyes on the things above, not on the things here on earth. That's why we sing hymns to remind us of this truth. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The world will say, change it, and you will be changed. Have a revolution here. Start a movement here. Get a program here. Then you will be changed. But Jesus says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He also says this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And again, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The world will try to convince you that you must change it first before you are changed. Christ, however, calls you to come to him, and he is the one that changes your heart. The reason why the season will always, always be a season of joy is because of the one who has come to change our hearts forever. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word that you give us, the mercy that you have bestowed upon us in our lowly state, in fact, in our dead state. By your grace, you give us life. You made what was once hard and made of stone into soft and heart of flesh. We give you glory and thanks for that. Let's take this time to pray. And just as we have been reminded through this Advent season and in the word of God that has been shown to us, let's give him praise for all that he has given to us. The ultimate gift of this season 
our Lord and Christ, our Savior, Jesus. Let's pray and thank him for what he has given us. He has given us himself. Let's pray.